Amen. You guys can have a seat. I am uh, thankful to be here with you guys again. For you guys that don't know me, um, if you're new to the church or haven't been around very long, my name is Chris Davis, and I am a pastor in residency here with Pastor Jimbo, um, working through some processes for us to be called to a church in the future. And so, been getting some opportunities by Pastor Jimbo to preach to you guys um, while we're here for a short period of time. I want to remind you guys to keep Pastor Jimbo in your prayers as we're going to be talking about the second missionary of Paul today, his missionary journey. Your pastor is on a mission today in Haiti, so keep him in mind today and in your thoughts and in your prayers as he is away from his beautiful family. Also, in the uh, front of you, if you do not have a Bible, is a Bible um, that you can turn to Acts chapter 16, where we're going to start today, and you'll find that on page 766. And if you do not have a Bible and you would like to start a personal journey and a personal study of God's Word, we would encourage you to take that Bible home with you. Uh, we just ask that you do us a favor and read the colored pages first when you get there before you start. So today I want to share with you guys a story as we get started. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back to this story at the end, but I need to get you guys in the mindset of where we're going through Paul's missionary journey with a, with a story of an author that is unknown. But here's what it says. On a dangerous seacoast where shipwrecks often occurred, there was once a life, a little life-saving station. The building was primitive and there was just one boat, but the members of the life-saving station were committed and kept a constant watch over the sea. When a ship went down, they unselfishly went out day or night to save the lost because so many lives were saved by the station, it became famous. Consequently, many people wanted to be associated with the station to give their time, their talent, and money to support this important work. New boats were bought, new crews were recruited, a formal training session was offered, As the membership in the life-saving station grew, some of the members became unhappy that the building was so primitive and that the equipment was so outdated. They wanted a better place to welcome the survivors pulled from the sea. So they replaced the emergency cots with beds, and they put better furniture in the enlarged and newly decorated building. Now, the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for its members. They met regularly, and when they did, it was apparent how they loved one another. They greeted each other, hugged each other, and shared with one another the events that had been going on in their lives. But fewer members were now interested in going to sea on life-saving missions. So they hired a lifeboat crew to do this for them. About this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast, and the hired crews brought into the life-saving station boatloads of cold, wet, dirty, sick, and half-drowned people. Some of them had black skin, and some had yellow skin. Some could speak English well, and some could hardly speak it at all. Some were first-class cabin passengers of the ship, and some were deckhands. The beautiful meeting place became a place of chaos. The plush carpets got dirty. Some of the exquisite furniture got scratched. So the property committee immediately had a shower built outside the house where the victims of shipwrecks could be cleaned up before coming inside. At the next meeting, there was a rift in the membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-savings activities for they were unpleasant and a hindrance to the normal fellowship of the members. Other members insisted that life-saving was their primary purpose and pointed out they were still called a life-saving station. But they were finally voted down and told that if they wanted to save the lives of all those various kinds of people who would be shipwrecked, they'd begin their own life-saving station down the coast. And you know what? That's what they did. But as the years passed, the new station experienced the same changes that occurred in the old. It evolved into a place to meet regularly for fellowship, for committee meetings, and for special training sessions about their mission. But few went out to the drowning people. The drowning people were no longer welcomed in that new life-saving station, so another life-saving station was founded further down the coast. History continued to repeat itself, and if you visit that seacoast today, you will find a number of adequate meeting places with ample parking and plush carpeting. Shipwrecks are frequent in those waters where most people drown. 
I want you to keep this story in mind as we think about Paul's second missionary journey. It's about journey about this life-saving station. And we're going to come back to it at the end because I want to challenge you today, as I've titled the message, that as you go about your life, you need to have intentional and be about intentional gospel conversations. We're going to see that all through this story in Acts 16 and 17 of, of the idea here of us, of Paul, of his Followers having intentional gospel conversations. So I'm going to read with you guys Acts chapter 16 and 17. Due to the length of this, I'm not going to ask you to stand today. Normally I would, but, but it's important that we read his word as we get ready to go into this. So here it is. It's chapter 16, verse 1. Then he came to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there, was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go on with him, and he took him and circumcised him because the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them decrees to keep with the which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. Now, when they had gone through Phrygia and region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to go preach the gospel to them. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of the part of Macedonia, a colony, and where we were staying in that city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out to the city of, to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who were there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed these things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And stay. So she persuaded us. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us brought her, who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. This girl followed, by Paul, followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out of her that very hour. But when her masters saw their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrate and said, These men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us being Romans to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison awakened from sleep, and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are here. Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. 
Now when he had brought them into the house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. And when it was day, the magistrate sent the officers, saying, Let those men go. So the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans, and have thrown us into prison. And now do they put us out secretly? No, indeed. Let them come themselves and get us out. And the officers told these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. Then they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. So they went out of the prisons and entered the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. Chapter 17 says, Now when they had passed through Amphibolus and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul and his custom was went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, These, This Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and, now, and not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. But the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace, and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of their brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here. Jason has harbored them, and they are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying, There is another king. Jesus, and they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Then the brethren Amelia sent Paul and Silas away that night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. They were more, they were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, and in that they received the word with all the readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men, But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, they came there also and stirred up the crowds. Then immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go to the sea. But both Silas and Timothy remained. So those who conducted Paul brought him to Athens, and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him with all speed, they departed. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him, and he saw the city was given to idols. Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him, and some said, What did this babbler have to say? Others said, He seems to be proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, Areopagus saying, May we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak? For you, can bring, you are bringing strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either telling or to hear something new. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you were very religious. For I was passing through considering the object of your worship and I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you are worshiping without knowing him, I proclaim to you. God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life breath, and all things. And he has made from the one blood every nation of which men dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each of us. For in him we live and and move and have our being, as also some of you own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought to not think the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art, and men's devising. Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. 
because he has appointed a day for which we will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance to this by raising him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked while others said, we will hear you again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed. Among them Dionysus the Areopagite, a woman named Demarius, and others with them. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for today. And God, while we are in such a long text of Scripture today, God, we will make this quick and we'll be able to get your point across, God, that your word will speak to us greatly and will challenge us, God, that as we go on our missions on a daily basis, we be as Paul that is focused and sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit and sensitive in teaching your word. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So I read you the, all of that so that we can get through all of these points today real fast. I'm going to try to do this as fast as possible so you can get to lunch here um, at about 1 or 2 o'clock today. So I'm just kidding. So, But just like the life-saving station had a purpose that it needed to accomplish, and that was the saving of drowning people, guys, guess what? We as a church have a purpose. We have a mission as well, and it is very much the same mission as those people who saved dying bodies, dying people. We have a responsibility to save dying souls. And so we're going to talk today about how do we accomplish this. So Paul was so devoted to the mission of in Christ, he intentionally set out on missionary journeys to tell others about Christ and to plant churches wherever believers could meet regularly for encouragement so they could meet for direction, God, so they could meet for correction from God's Word. And we benefit from this today because guess what? We are here meeting in this building at this address in this part of the city for the same reasons. But I would ask this question, and I've posed this question, and it's been part of the challenge for me into ministry as well. My own personal call, are we today fulfilling the mission of Jesus Christ? We know the mission, but are we fulfilling the mission? And so I want to look through parts of this text as we go to point out about five things to you today to get you to think about this idea of intentional gospel conversations and how you can be intentionally on mission for Jesus even as you leave here today. And so I have this first point right here is, listen, we do this as we go. As you go, we need to be displaying and living out the mission. I'm going to tell you how in a little bit later we're going to do that, but I want you to see this. Paul sets out with Silas to take the decision of the Jerusalem council to the churches. What was the decision of the Jerusalem council? Well, last week you learned was that circumcision was not necessary for salvation. And so they get excited. They're going to take this message to the churches that Paul has planted on his first missionary journey. And they're going to tell them of the findings that they have found and that the council has decided on. And he's excited about taking this out to the people. So as he goes, they're taking this message of the Jerusalem council to this to these people, to these churches that are established, and this was Paul and Silas's mission. It had a definite plan, it had a definite purpose by men and by God. You see, they set out with their own purpose, their own plan initially to go to those churches and to share the good news that they had that's determined to be proper and right at the Jerusalem council. But God also had a plan, too. We need to keep that in mind. He, and then, so the first place he goes, we see in 16 was he goes to Derby. He has some conversations with people there. He presents this information. Then he goes to Lystra, and this is where he con- was in his first missionary journey. It's where Timothy was converted. 
It's where Timothy becomes a believer. And now here we find on the second mission here, he is, he's gone to Lystra. He is going to give them the findings of the Jerusalem Council, and he's going to recruit Timothy. He's going to say, Timothy, I need you to come with me. I want you to be part of this mission. I want you to come be part of it. So he goes and he grabs Timothy, and Timothy comes along, and then they set out to Asia. And it's said that as he goes to Asia, something happened, and he wasn't allowed to speak. He was forbidden by the Spirit to preach there. So he says, okay, we're not supposed to go here, so we're going to go on up to the next place. We're going to go up to Bithynia, and he's going to be forbidden by the Lord to speak again. I I can't answer your question today of why why did he keep from being allowed to speak to those people in Asia. I'm not sure what the Lord's plan was, but here's what I know. That Paul, sensitive to the Holy Spirit, realized it, and he didn't say a word. He went to the next place unfree to be able to preach, he goes on to the next place. So we find in 16.8, as he was going, he goes to Troas. And we see there that Paul finds his calling. He finds what it is that the Lord wants him to do. Keep in mind, the whole time as he was going, he set out on his plan. His plan to take this news of the Jerusalem Council to the churches that they had already established. But God had other plans because as he goes, he gets tongue-tied. He gets to where he can't go places. He wanted to go to Asia as well. He couldn't do all this stuff. And so God says, no, I don't want you to do that. So he sends him to Troas. And in 16.8, we see there he receives a vision to go to Macedonia, to eastern, southern eastern of Europe is where he's supposed to go. And so what do we see there in 16.11? Paul didn't waste any time. Paul doesn't waste any time in 16.11 to figure out that he has got a vision and he has to go to a Macedonia. So he immediately leaves And we end up finding that he settles in Philippi. I also find it interesting that in 1616, he even mentions this word, as you go. Because it says that as they were going to the place to pray, they were constantly looking, constantly being led by the Lord of where they were to go and what they were to be doing. But as they were even going to a place of prayer, and after Paul leaves Philippi, we see in chapter 17 that he goes to Thessalonica, then to Berea, and he ultimately ends up in Athens, the story that most of you are probably very familiar with. And we'll spend a little time in that here in a little bit. But you see, Paul originally set out to go to the churches that he planted, again, in the first missionary journey. And then he wanted to go on into Asia and plant more churches But God had bigger plans. And I I studied, and as I was studying this, I was thinking to myself, what what are my plans? What are my plans for ministry? What are my plans, my wife and I's plans for ministry? What is God calling us to do? And and it made me start asking the question, well, were Paul and Silas kind of single-minded in their their, their calling here, were they so excited that the Jerusalem council settled on something that they all agreed on, that this would not be a hindrance to Gentile people coming to know the Lord, this idea of circumcision, that they were so excited that they couldn't just wait to get back out and just go share this. I mean, this would be great news. Guys, we do it all the time in the church. We have meetings that occur in the church. We have meetings that occur in conventions, and we can't wait to come back and report that news that sometimes I think we just kind of get short-sighted. We, we get single mindset that we're, this is what we've got to do, that we have to accomplish, that sometimes we miss what God is doing in the bigger picture of it. Did they forget to inquire about God? 
Or were they just so excited about the direction they were headed, they just kind of went? Scripture doesn't really say what their mindset was there in this specific area. But I do think that as we look today at our call to mission and our call to what we're supposed to be doing as believers, I do think we can find an answer. And it's in a scripture that all of you know very well. I think it will be on the screen in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. We call this the what? The great commission. The great commission. And this is what it says. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. In verse 19, we see the answer in the New King James Version. It says, therefore, go. Some of you may be reading the ESV, so I know we study that here a lot too as well. So I I pulled it up, and it says, go, therefore. But guys, you know what the proper and probably the best interpretation of that scripture may mean for us today? Not just the therefore, go, or go, therefore. But it really, how about reading, how about reading it this way? As you go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You see, we are without excuse. We cannot make an excuse of why we do not fulfill the mission of Christ. We have been given a command by the Lord that as we go, as Paul went on the second missionary journey, we go about missionary journeys daily in our lives, and as we go, we must make disciples. We must teach them, we must baptize them, and we must lead them on to be able to multiply the kingdom. I wrote this, as we go, even when we have a set plan and purpose, we need to consistently be open to doing the Lord's work, even if it's not in the plan, and I capitalize this, we have. Paul knew this, and well, and we, and we will see how he responds when the Lord mixes up his plans in a minute, but if you're like me, I don't know about you guys, but how many of you like your calendar messed up? Probably most of us don't like our calendar messed up. I know there's several of you guys in here that I'm looking at that have lawn businesses and really don't like it when the Lord sends rain <laughs> because it really messes you up over the summer. You know, same with me and my job. I don't like it when I have a meeting with Pastor Jimbo scheduled and I have a job that I don't really know my schedule exactly. That's really frustrating. And, and it frustrates us when our schedule gets messed up. But here's what I want to challenge you on. When the schedule gets messed up, you better be looking for what's the Lord's doing. Because your schedule may have just got messed up because he has bigger plans. He has a bigger thing for you to do, something bigger for you to accomplish. So as you go, you need to be doing what the Lord's called you to do. But I'm going to tell you on point number two here, the second challenge here in this is that we need to be also be alert as we go. We need to be alert. There are some things that happen in this text here today that we're going to see. And, and, and one area that we need to be alert in is in the direction with the Lord. While Paul and his team had a plan to go and to take this to the churches that they've been to, to share this good news of the council's findings, we also see that he gets to Asia and he's forbidden. He's forbidden. He's forbidden to preach. It wasn't that he was forbidden to speak or forbidden necessarily to go there, but he was forbidden to preach. Sometimes the Lord calls us to places, and guys, it's, it's always important that we know where we are. Because we need to be sensitive to the Lord's calling. There are times that we need to open our mouths and there's times that we need to be sensitive to the Lord telling us to be quiet. But we need to be aware. And I'm telling you, there's only one way you can know that. There is only one way you can know when you're supposed to speak and when you're supposed to be quiet. And that is if you have a good quality relationship with Jesus Christ. 
You don't get that just from coming to church. You don't get that just from your own quiet time. You get that from a combination of a lot of things. It's, it's believing in Christ. It is surrendering your life to Him. It is being in fellowship with other believers. It is being in a daily quiet time. It is being in His Word. And when you are sensitive to what the Lord's doing and you are in these areas with Him, I'm telling you, you will know when you are to speak and you will know when you are to not speak. Paul knew in Asia he was not to speak. He was not to preach. He needed to go somewhere to figure out. So they go to Troas and he sought the Lord there. And at the night he received a vision of the plan of God. Now, I don't know, did Paul miss it with his excitement to go tell the good news of the Jerusalem council that he missed thinking about what is the Lord's direction here? I don't know. I don't know if that's true or not. But I do know this. The Lord had a different plan. He had a different plan. And he lets it be known by not letting him preach. And then he goes to Troas and he says, Hey, God, hey God Paul, here's the big deal. I need you to go to Macedonia. I need you to go where I'm calling you to go to preach the word to those specific people for a specific purpose. And you guys can study the church in Thessalonica. You can study all those things to find out what Paul's real reason there was. We don't have a lot of time today to get into that. But I'm just telling you, you need to, as you go, you need to be alert. You need to be alert in the direction that the Lord's going to send you in your ministry. But you also need to be alert of the second thing here, and that's Satan's attack. You see, when you're doing something big for the Lord and you're doing great things and you're going to share His Word and you're going to share the plan of salvation with people and you're going to share the truth of God's love with people, I promise you one thing. You are going into the lion's den. You will be thrown in the fire. You will experience attacks like you have never experienced. Pastor Jimbo warned Sherry and I when we got into this Minute, this residency of restoration, of church revitalization and restoration, and we started learning. He warned us, and he said, you will be attacked. Because the devil already has a foothold in many of those churches that are dying. And you will be attacked because you're going to go try to reclaim property that the Lord has lost, if you will, that Satan is trying to claim. And I'm telling you, it wasn't day one we started this process. We started seeing things happen. Just weird, random things that were like, we finally got to the point where we're like, bring it on, bring it on, bring it on, because we ain't fighting you no more. Jesus has got it. I mean, we've had to have that attitude because Satan's going to attack. And we see here that everywhere Paul went and preached the gospel, people were saved and churches were started. But here we find in 1616 this demon-possessed girl. Here's what's interesting. Guess what the demon's saying? Did you catch that? The demon is speaking the truth. The demon says, These are men of the Most High God who proclaim the way of salvation. What well, doesn't sound like a bad thing. It sounds like a great thing. Except Paul had a problem with it. And most of us might overlook that and be like, okay, Paul just realized it was a demon. He cast it out. Okay, it's gone. No big deal. But let me tell you why Paul had a problem with it. Paul had a problem because he was desiring the truth to be preached. And he cast out this demon because guess what? Two things. He didn't want the gospel or the name of God to be promoted by Satan's slaves. Paul wanted the hearts of the hearers to be able to trust it fully and not be easily swayed by one who can tell the truth one minute and the very next tell a lie. Paul can't have Satan out there tricking people. Guys, let me tell you something. I read it today because I quoted it on Facebook a long time ago and it came up in my memories. It wasn't in my message, but I'm going to tell you today. Andy Stanley says something that was profound to me. Andy Stanley has some quotes out there that are pretty good, but he's did one. he has a lesson out there. 
And uh, this is what he says. The devil wants you to think you're a mistaker who makes mistakes, not a sinner who sins. That's powerful. Because if the devil can trick you and can trick us, then guess what we become even as believers? Okay, I made a mistake. It's not a big deal. I'm telling you, it is a huge deal. We cannot put a blanket over sin. Sin is real and sin hurts us. And Paul knew it here and he had to cast this devil out because he needed to make sure that when they preached the truth of God's word, it was the whole truth, 100%, nothing but the truth. No lies could come from it. Because it could create confusion. Anybody ever been part of confusion? Well, we know that in 1 Corinthians 14, that we know that our Lord is not a God of confusion. So Paul... Cast out this demon. We too, as we are going, need to make sure we stay close to the Spirit in our lives. He's our great helper and the one who's sent to live in us for guidance. And we stay close to Him by, again, reading God's Word, by spending quality time in prayer and being connected in the assembling of the believers. What you're doing here today is of very much importance. It's this way that we can know the direction the Lord has sent us and also be able to identify those attacks from Satan. But here's the third part, and this is going to get us. I might step on your toes here a little bit. Sorry, not sorry, but we as believers in Jesus Christ need to be available, not comfortable. We need to be available, not comfortable. We see here in 16, in 16 through 24, we see an area where, um, where Paul is not comfortable. He is very... Uh, Challenged here, it says that he was thrown in prison. At one point in time, Paul is thrown in prison. We see in 17, we see both in Thessalonica and in Berea, he is being chased and sought after by the Jewish people to bring a, to bring a claim that he is trying to create chaos and turmoil against the Roman Empire. So, Paul here is constantly on the run. He's constantly struggling with people coming after him. We have to be available, but not comfortable. I want you to get the picture here of the story of the little girl. Paul and his team cast this demon out of this little girl. And it affect her owner's source of income. It was their livelihood. How many of you would like it when someone messes with your livelihood, with your source of income? And so, out of their own selfishness, their own selfish desires, their loss of income, they try to figure out a way to get back at Paul and those guys. And so they bring these accusations up against that these guys are out um, Trying to create chaos. Trying to get people to not follow King Caesar, but to follow King Jesus. And this becomes a a problem in Rome. And so the magistrates rips their clothes off. He beats them, locks them in jail, bound them in stocks. So what you think about it? Paul and Silas have done nothing wrong. Yet somebody makes an accusation against them that was false. And just on an accusation alone, they were stripped, beaten, and thrown into jail. Pretty hopeless situation for Paul and Silas. And at midnight, they begin to pray and sing hymns. And I just wrote, huh? In my notes, huh? 
Like, really? Like, you're going to sing hymns and, and, and pray at this point in time? Like, you've just been beaten. You've got to be in pain. And they are, they are praying. And it says that an earthquake comes. Prison doors are open. Their stocks are freed up. They could easily leave. And yet, they choose not to. The, to the point that the jailer thinks that they're gone. He's going to commit suicide because he was going to face the same punishment that those criminals were going to face because he let them escape. He realizes they're not saved. He had to be listening to what Paul and them were doing in prison just like the other jailers were, what they were saying and singing about because what does he do when he realizes that, that they're there? He, he immediately rushes in and he asks, how can we be saved? And Paul wastes no time sharing the gospel of faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. I, I want to challenge you real quick about persecution about struggles as a believer in your faith. The great church historian Tertullian said it this way, the blood of the martyr is the seed of the church. And you guys need to understand one thing. God uses our persecution and our uncomfortableness for his gain. Our trials are not wasted, especially when people give their lives to Christ. Some of you out here are probably facing trials you never thought you would face a sickness you never thought you would experience, the loss of a child you never thought you would experience, the loss of a loved one, you name it the loss of a job. There are all kinds of persecutions and trials that you are going through, but God will not waste those. So what's the application as we're going to bring, as we're going, as we are being alert and we're not comfortable? How do we accomplish this? How do we accomplish this? Number four, stand strong in the word. 22 verses Verses 17, verses 22 through 31. I won't read them all again for time's sake. But this is where Paul is going to stand before the Areopagus and he is going to address their concerns. He is going to address, like, what is this new teaching you bring? This, this thing we have not heard of. And so Paul, many of you have heard of this as Paul's message on Mars Hill. And so in 22 through 31, here's what Paul tells them. Paul identified that they were a religious people. Scripture tells us, in fact, that he identified they were a very religious people. He identified a way to connect with them. He used the statue of the unknown God to connect with those people. He tells them who this unknown God truly is. It's the God who made the world, who does not dwell in earthly buildings that cannot contain him. He he tells them that God does not desire us to worship Him through our gifts, but through our lives. God doesn't want statues built all over the place for Him. God wants us to worship Him through our lives. He's the giver of all things, not us. He's made all of humanity and placed them in their habitation. He tells them that He is actually close to them and there's no need for an idol. He's shown them God as creator. Now He shows them God as redeemer. He points out men are now without excuse and cannot claim ignorance and there is coming a time of judgment. So he makes it clear that this judgment will be just. And this final point that he makes them is all truth because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They struggled with the idea of the resurrection. The point I'm going to make to you today in light of the resurrection is I'm just telling you, I think sometimes we make too much, I, I think sometimes we make too much attention on the cross and not enough attention on the resurrection. Because I'm here to tell you, without a resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are all, it's all for nothing. 
The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the final point. Jesus Christ accomplished death. He conquered death through his resurrection. And he is making that point here to these guys that the final truth about it is, is all this is true because Jesus was resurrected. We too have this word as our God and source of power in sharing with others about Christ as we go about our lives in our daily basis. I want to show you real quickly how powerful the word of God is. I think this is on the screen. 2 Timothy 3, 16-17. This is in the ESV version. I'm going to read it because there's a couple different words sometimes it translates. But I like this version better. All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, I want you to see how powerful that is. I want you to see the power of God and the ability to breathe or to inspire his word. I want you to see how powerful that is in Genesis 2, 7. It says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. I'm just here to tell you that if God can create a man out of nothing, ex nihilo, out of dirt, create the dirt, then form the man, and breathe into his nostrils and bring life, there is great power in that, something we cannot fathom. And it's that same power, it's that same God who inspired, who breathed into these people, who put these words on paper, His Word, and we can hold it to be 100% infallible, to be accurate, to be true, and it is the Word that we can trust as we go about our daily lives and how we're to live, but also in how we're to share. And I titled this message today Intentional Gospel Conversations because when we study Paul on this second missionary journey, we see his plans were changed. He was persecuted. He was not comfortable, but he was faithful to preach the word. Like Paul, you too, my friend, can stand strong in the word. And I want to challenge you right here as we close. Point number five. Leave the results to God. Leave them to God. You are not God. If you will get that out of your head, you are not God, never will be God. You can leave the results to God and you can walk away having a conversation in victory whether that person believes Jesus or not. You won. You won because you shared the gospel. You won. Jesus is happy with you. Jesus is excited with you. His word was shared. Leave the results to God. Look, 16.5, the churches were strengthened and increased in the numbers. 16.14, Lydia and her household become believers. 16.25 through 40, the jailer and his family were saved. Some in Thessalonica in 17.4 became believers. 17.12 says many in Berea were saved. And 17.34 says some in Athens became believers. You see, in many of the times that Paul set out to share his message, he did not see as we did at Pentecost. He did not see these large conversions of people. But we are recorded of the winds. We do see that he won. We do see that, he, that many came to faith. And we do see that churches were planted. Churches were started. Places God's word could be taught. Places people could become and become encouraged and be loved and be corrected when they were wrong. But we also see right here, the job's not over. Because there were many who didn't. There were many who did not come to Christ in those days, except yet set out to to kill them, to set out to have them arrested, to persecute them. And when I think about it, I think about it like this. If I were Paul, would I quit? If I were Paul, would I quit? And I think many times... 
Most of us think like Paul. We, are, we feel like we're going to get, we, or we get saved and we get on fire and we come to church and we get plugged into small group Bible studies, which, by the way, we have great ones here. If you're not plugged into one, you need to be plugged into one. I'm going to tell you right now, you need to be plugged into small group Bible study. Because we get encouraged. We get lifted up. We get prayed for. But I'm telling you, if I was Paul, I would think I might want to quit. But he pressed on to get the word throughout the world and to start as many churches as possible to further the spread of the gospel. And just like Paul, I don't know about you, but we may want to give up. We, we find excuses in our lives. I'm just too busy. Um, what are some other things that we might say? I, I don't know what to say. I'm, I'm, probably most of us have said that. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to tell them. How am I supposed to answer all of their questions because they're smarter than me and they have all these... Uh, y'all have heard some of these things these people throw at you. Or no one is accepting Christ when you tell them. And so you make up your own list of reasons why people might not share Jesus. But here's what I'm going to tell you, folks. Whether you are introverted or whether you are extroverted, when we're around other people, we find stuff to converse about. We can find stuff to talk about. I guarantee you before we leave out of here today, I will see you guys in huddles somewhere. We nickname some of those around here holy huddles. Um, that's just an inside joke from my guest services team there. But we, we, we will be huddled in groups. We will be talking. I've already shared my deer experience with two people that like to hunt this morning. Already. I couldn't wait to come tell them about my deer experience I had this week. We will converse about something. I want to challenge you today to begin to have daily intentional gospel conversations. You don't need a canned program to share your faith. You know more than enough to have these conversations with people. And your love for the lost ought to drive you to open your mouth and have a gospel conversation with them. Here's what I wrote in this last paragraph. It is my prayer that the church of the risen Lord Jesus Christ does not become an elite club, but that it stays true to the original purpose, to be a true life-saving station. People need Jesus for salvation. People need Jesus for restoration. And people need Jesus for eternity. And I pray, may we be a people who never forget the mission that was given to us by our Lord Jesus as we go Make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So start by having intentional gospel conversations with those you come in contact with. And use these conversations to invite someone to church next week with you. I'm going to pray in a second as the band's coming up. And uh, maybe there's somebody you need to have a gospel conversation with this week. Maybe there's somebody you need to invite to church. Maybe you don't even know this Jesus that I've been teaching about, that Paul has been speaking about. Maybe you need to come talk to a pastor. Pastor Joe's around here. Pastor Wesley will be up here. I will be up front. We would love to talk to you guys about Jesus. But here's what I want to challenge you more than anything. Guys, these altars are open. So when the invitation takes place, you don't need any kind of special invitation to come down here and pray. I want to challenge you, every one of you, to think about who is it God's placed in your life, placed on your heart to have a gospel conversation this week. Come up here. If you're serious, leave that name right here at the altar and then go and tell them about Jesus. So as the band comes, I'm going to pray. God, we do thank you for this day. We do thank you, God, for what you're doing in our lives. I thank you, God, for what you're doing in the lives of Redemption Church and for the heart of the pastor to just teach Scripture consistently, God, to the people here so they can continue to go and make much of you and less of us. And so, God, as we come to this point in time of the invitation where we are going to extend it to those who may not know you, I pray, God, that if there's someone here who doesn't know you, they don't leave today without discovering who you are, without surrendering their life to you. But, God, more importantly, or as important, not more importantly because that's the most important, but as important, God, is that there are people you want us to speak to. 
There are people that you want us to challenge. There are people that you want us to talk to. There are people that you want us to share with. And God, all we got to do is have a gospel conversation centered around you. But God, sometimes we get afraid. And so, God, I pray that they will come to this altar today. They will be able to approach your throne with boldness. They will approach your throne and experience your grace today, God, so that they can carry that confidence and that power of you with them. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.